was mid-morning on May 18, 1980. My mom was in her early 20s, and she and her friends were spending the day trying to get some sun at Green Lake in Seattle. And they noticed the sky had begun to get a bit darker. Before they knew it, ash had begun to fall out of the sky. What they didn't know was that over 200 miles away, Mount St. Helens had shocked the world when the northern face had slid off in a giant landslide, triggering an eruption. 24 square miles of land buried under over 600 feet of debris. The nine-hour eruption blew 520 million tons of ash over 230 square miles, knocked down 14 billion board feet of lumber. 57 people died that day. 7,000 or more animals, 12 million or more fish, a crater two miles wide and a half mile deep was formed. As a once fertile old growth forest was reduced to a moon-like landscape, a pumice of ash and mud. It was the equivalent of 1,600 times the size and power of the atomic bomb that we dropped on Hiroshima. By the time that it was over, scientists would declare that the new landscape of the mountain would never recover. And if it was to ever recover, it would be long outside of our own lifetime before it would begin. You can imagine the surprise then of researchers and scientists when less than two years later, a helicopter flying over the black zone spotted lupine as it began to grow. Of how within 10 years, ground foliage, wildflowers, and small animals had returned. That they were surprised that within 20 years, Trees had grown and large animals had begun to remake their homes on the mountain. That what had been written off as a lost cause was full of new life. This is the mountain that I grew up with. An ever-present reminder of loss and survival, and revival. This is our story. It's the story of God. A God who looks out over brokenness and destruction and loss and says, no, that is not the last word. Watch. I'm going to do something new. In a story that is familiar to most of us, found in the book of John, we meet a man named Lazarus. 
he's fallen ill and his sisters, Mary and Martha, they send word to Jesus begging him to hurry back, to come and heal Lazarus before he dies. In what is perhaps one of the most difficult passages in the Bible for me, we find out that after hearing his pleas that Jesus waits two more days. Two more days of waiting and wondering and pain. Two more days in which Lazarus dies. When Jesus finally decides to return to Bethlehem to see his friend, we're never given an explanation as to why he waited. When Martha hears that Jesus is approaching, she runs out onto the road and she confronts him in anger and in sorrow. If you had been here, he wouldn't have died. Soon after Jesus calls for her sister Mary, she comes to him and she falls at his feet crying, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. Martha and Mary both pour out their hearts to Jesus. They lay their pain honestly at his feet. And how does he respond? Does he respond Defensively, does he respond with anger? Does he try to explain all the reasons why? No. We're told that he is deeply disturbed by their sorrow. And in perhaps the two most powerful words that I have ever read, we get the shortest sentence you will find in Scripture. Jesus wept. Because sometimes, as we know, in the midst of loss, there are no words. There is nothing we can say. What we need is someone who can cry with us, who can mourn with us, who can feel our pain. After all, that is the story of the gospel. It's a story about God, not some faraway God who sits back and watches us suffer from afar. But a God who walks with us through the valleys, who stands beside us, who takes our sorrow and our pain into his own body. And is there with us and near to us. The Psalms in times like these are a balm to my soul. They are proof that humanity has been crying out our pain to God far longer than just our lifetime. Individual and communal psalms of lament criticize God. They demand answers and satisfaction. They demand action. Why have you forsaken me? When, O oh Lord, how long will this go on? But Jesus, Jesus doesn't just 
scoff at tears and sorrow. He's not bound by our human limitations. He asks the sisters, where have you taken his body? Taken to the tomb, he stands before and he asks for the rock to be removed and he calls out to Lazarus, come out. He raises him from the dead. I have always wondered what it was like for Lazarus after that day. After all, how can you ever go back? How can you ever go back to normal after that kind of loss, after that kind of change, after that kind of experience? During the eruption, Mount St. Helens lost 1,300 feet of elevation. Its entire northern face gone, an ecosystem wiped out. No amount of hoping or wishing, no amount of working or repair will ever let it go back to how it was. What was normal for all those years. Instead, it found a new normal. In the wake of the volcano, when thousands of years of old growth forests were wiped out, new life began to flourish. Animals that had been dying out in other areas because there was too much tree growth, they found a new home, a new lease on life. 37 years later, a new normal has been established on that mountain. It's the only normal that I've ever known. When my mom looks at that mountain now, she can see both what was lost what has been gained. A new normal, it's the same term that we used to use when I worked for the Red Cross in disaster relief. Helping people after disasters when we had to face the truth that there are some things that are so impactful, so big, so life-changing that things can never go back to the way they were. But that doesn't mean that they're bad, or that the future is guaranteed to be worse off. It just means it's different. Whether it was the ancient Israelites watching the city of Jerusalem burn to the ground before they were taken away to Babylon, or the disciples hiding together the morning after the crucifixion, the people of God, have been and always are living into a new normal. Because we are a people not defined by death, but by resurrection. Of a life raised up from ashes, literally and figuratively. Isaiah 61 reads, The Spirit of God is upon me. He has sent me to preach good news to the poor, and to heal the brokenhearted. God sent me to announce the year of his grace, to care for the needs of all who mourn in death, to give them bouquets of roses instead of ashes, 
messages of joy instead of news and gloom. Then they shall rebuild their old ruins, raise a new city out of the wicked. They will start over on ruined cities with the rubble left behind, and they will make it new. This is the promise of the gospel, that tomorrow will come when God is coming with us. That no matter how bad things seem, this is not the end of the story. Because God is in the business of rebuilding. And he is rebuilding us, and he is rebuilding this world, even as we sit here today. Today is a day when it seems like believing all of this is far too daunting. When all we want to do is to just go back. Back to the normal we knew a few days ago. Instead, we will follow the call of Moses as he led the people out of Egypt, of Isaiah as he spoke to those drawn from the cities of God, and Jesus as he comforted his disciples. We will go forward into a new normal. Like Lazarus, we will be called back into life. And like Martha and Mary, we will trust in a Jesus who weeps with us, who loves us, and who will never leave us alone.